Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. This week there is no Leeds fan called Dave and it's probably a stretch to even call it a team of Spurs fans. Instead, following in the proud traditions of Spurs in years gone by, we are coming to you in the form of a one-man team as I'm joined by a lone superstar today to help <laughs> me talk about the runaway league leaders Tottenham Hotspur and their tri- triumphant 2-0 victory over Fulham a couple of days ago. I'm delighted to be joined by my one-man team today that is Socrates. Socks, welcome back to another episode. Are you a happy Spurs fan at the moment? How are you feeling? I am, yeah. I have the feeling that you've cordoned me for a one-on-one, so I'm just going to get 45 minutes of you asking, <laughs> can we win the league repeatedly? And that will effectively be what this episode is. This is the 9am Monday morning HR meeting. It's like, Socks, we need to talk, okay? It's about your performance. <laughs> exactly, even on a Sunday night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I promise you we've done enough of that last week in our broad discussion about our title credentials. And it's not fun anymore because now everyone else is doing it. And it's getting to the point now <laughs> where rival fans are trying to tell everyone why we won't win the league. And they're posting screenshots of our run-in and the fixtures we have at the end of the season and all that. So uh, I'm over my little uh, temporary obsession with Spurs as title challenges. Instead, I just want to talk about Spurs at the moment and trying to enjoy it as much as we can. Despite that, despite trying to keep our expectations in check, Big Ange is now officially the greatest manager of all time. He's just had the best ever start to a Premier League career as a manager with that win over Fulham. We're now two points clear. And as we're recording, it is Thursday. We may well, in a little over 24 hours, be five points clear once we've played Crystal Palace as well. So uh, lots of reasons to get excited. We are going to talk about the Fulham game. Quite simply, Socks, how did you find the Fulham game? What are your thoughts? Uh, I thought we were okay overall. I thought in the first mm. half we were pretty good we had our moments they look sort of vaguely threatening without creating anything too much beyond the sort of very good Vicario save from the set piece yeah but we did enough to kind of poke and prod and we had a lot of what I would say I guess half chances outside of the actual goal itself in the second half again it was just kind of doing a bit more of the same like I don't think we were our absolute sort of swashbuckling best but that's not to say that we were particularly bad either and oddly enough again given that we're recording on the Thursday and just pre-match press conference for Palace has come out and he did come out and say actually the attack is where we've got the most room for improvement because at the moment it's not oh, really as fluid yeah I, you, mm. you would have assumed something else i would have thought maybe the defense or something but based on the, the second attack- half i think our possession wasn't great we weren't brilliant on the ball as we have been all season i think it was probably our weakest performance in possession the second half against fulham yeah i agree i mean i'm trying to find the i've, I've got the Ange quote in front of me now and he just says the main growth will still come in the attacking third a lot of our moves are not natural how we want them to be which is interesting because we're thinking of this team as this being this free-flowing attacking team or whatever with goals all over the shop. Yeah. But I think in the, in the second half, to just specifically talk about Fulham, I thought we did what we needed to do and then we just sort of took our foot off the gas. And Ange obviously more than alluded to it in his post-match press conference, which I'm really glad because it's it's nice yeah. when you as a fan can look at the manager. It's like, okay, the manager has seen the same thing that I have seen. Because yeah. sometimes uh, you know, the manager says something, it's like, okay, you weren't watching the same game or you're overpraising them here. So yeah, you're deluded. I thought he completely, yeah, like he criticised yeah. them the absolute right time after a victory because I think that last 10, 15, 20 minutes, I honestly had 3-0 up versus West Ham vibes where it was like <laughs> the game was done. We took our foot off the gas or whatever and we just let them back into it and there were too many players sort of pissing about and that was everybody. Van der Ven gave the ball away. Vicario had a couple of shaky mm. moments and you did worry where if it wasn't a sort of 
past it, shall we say, Raul Jimenez or Raul Jimenez, who let's be more polite to him because he had a horrible injury, yeah. hasn't rediscovered his form since that injury or it wasn't Harry Wilson. If that's a better team, you're conceding those two and we're looking at it and going a game that we've completely pissed away. So that's the one kind of negative aspect from it. But I like that the manager immediately will not take no complacency. Like I am going to make sure I stamp this out and we're never going to see this ever again. Yeah, that caught me off guard actually in a good way. I was pleasantly surprised to hear Ange say that because I feel like up until now, he's been very kind of relaxed, very happy-go-lucky. Let's just enjoy it one step at a time, see how we get on and very complimentary and very much getting behind the players at every opportunity. It's the first time he's really been quite openly critical of the team. And it's good to do that from a position of strength, isn't it? It's good to do that after a win rather than after a loss and throw the players under the bus and not take responsibility this is the perfect time to step up and do it and for me that's it's a bit cliche but that sounds like a winner you know I, I quite like yeah. seeing that I don't know what Andrew's been saying behind closed doors I'm sure he's been more critical in private of players over specific mistakes that they've made but for him to come out and almost challenge the players like that and say that this isn't good enough I don't care if you've just won and gone top of the league I don't care if you could be five points clear in a few days time I want the absolute best and, and he definitely is starting to sound publicly like somebody who will demand nothing less than 100% well I think it's a lot of people will always focus on outcome on the result itself at process is always the most important thing because if you do the process right then the outcome will come yeah i, I said the word come too many times in quick succession but <laughs> it's all about the context the, the, yeah the point there being if you play that game again 10 more times or against a better opposition you do the same thing then you would lose that game so there's no point you take the win obviously but there's no point obsessing over it, it it's more so the process it's more so the patterns of play and all that kind of stuff because yeah. that was some of the players reverting to the team that we saw last season and we know at this point we, we knew when we hired him the Ange mantra is we never stop. If it's 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, you attack, you go for the throw. Yeah. And I think, you know, you said that was the first time he wasn't happy-go-lucky or whatever. I think that's because that was the first time he had reason not to be. Mm. We haven't been playing poorly enough, irrespective of whether we've won or drawn. Even to Fulham, because against Fulham the first time in the Carabao Cup, because it was a rotated team. It was the first time, really, that he's had any justification to come out and maybe put the hammer down a little bit. So it's good to see that the first time it's happened, he's been on it. So I don't mind it at all. I guess what you're now looking for is the... It's weird to say the response because we won the game, but if you're in a yeah. similar position, whether it's against Palace or Chelsea or whomever, now it's down to the players because we know now as supporters that the manager has done his bit. And if he's done that publicly, he'll have done it privately as well. So yeah. if we're in a similar position in whichever game it may be, let's see if we continue to go through the throat or do the same thing. Well, sticking with the second half, and obviously we don't want to hammer the team too much because we did a lot of things very well, and we'll get on to those. But with that second half, what do you think went wrong? What happened? Was it simply a case of complacency, taking off it off the gas? Or do you think the changes had something to do with it? Do you think part of what Fulham were doing in response to us taking the lead had something to do with it? What happened? What went wrong? No, I think it was just, it's what you said, intensity and complacency. Like, it wasn't necessarily like a lack of ability. Like, we made changes, but Johnson's a good player. Velith is, okay, we don't know much about him. And yeah. Lascelles is about as good of a realistic backup as we've got for Madison. He mm. is a good player. He's just made out of Weetabix. So we only see him once every kind of four months or whatever. Yeah. So I don't think it was the changes. I mean, I think Ange himself said in his interview with Sky that he was trying to bring some spark back into the team by bringing in sort of three hungry players on. And that was the aim of the substitutions. I, I think it was just a simple, like it doesn't need a tremendous amount of forensic analysis. I think we were 2-0 up against the team that wasn't particularly threatening us at the time. Everything mm. was comfortable. The atmosphere was very subdued as well. You could tell it wasn't. People weren't like massively up for it or whatever. It just had that kind of, was sort of coasting. And I think the players just got, feel. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Uh, it was just a bit complacent or whatever. And you're right, like we shouldn't hammer into them too much. It's the first properly negative thing in 
nine games, 10 if you want to count the first yeah. game in the Carabao Cup, I think, where we can look at the players and go, okay, that was a little bit disappointing. I mean, mm. if you told me now in the next nine fixtures that we're going to have one game, we'll be come off the back of it and go, well, they shouldn't have done that. Or that was a <laughs> yeah. bit of a sign up to that now. right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Irrespective of the result, I'd, I'd, you know, let me know where I can sign and I'll do it right now. So yeah. I don't want to go overboard about it. But it's exactly like you said, where these top managers, any kind of winner in any sport or in any field of life, like they understand that every 1% has to be accounted for and any way you can make the tiniest gain or whatever is ultimately what's going to kind of get you over the line at the end. And that's exactly what he's trying to do here. Yeah. Are you in any kind of a hurry to see Emerson Royale at left back again? <laughs> or right back for that matter. No, anyway. <laughs> I mean, I like him. Uh, no, I like Emerson. It's harsh. I feel sorry for him because yeah. he's a, a defensive right back that was yeah. signed to play in a back four and then was asked to play as an attacking wing back 10 games into his first yeah. career under a different manager. And now he's potentially being asked to do some sort of inverted role, which and he doesn't have the capacity to do any of those things. No. So. I really like him, but I don't think his future here is is a particularly long one. No, perhaps another reminder of our lack of depth and uh, some parts of the Indeed. page. But that's enough about what we did wrong. Let's talk about what we did right, because we did a lot of things very well. And I think probably chief among them for me was our out of possession play. I think our pressing was maybe the best I've seen all season. I think in the second half, as well as the first half, particularly James Madison and probably Richarlison in all fairness. But I think we looked really, really good without the ball in this game. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Sun as well. I mean, Sun works like yeah. an absolute dog. Yeah, why he keeps getting subbed off for like 60 or 70 minutes every single game. I, I know he's reportedly been carrying some knocks and stuff. I think he's over the hernia thing from last season, but it's been alluded to that he's not been 100% fit. But that front three absolutely worked their bollocks off every single game. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what led to both the goals, right? Like it was pressure pretty much on exactly. Calvin Bassi. Yeah. Like we clearly, we clearly spotted a weak point in the same way that whenever Hoiberg had the ball, that was the trigger for the press for them. So it's, you know, basic stuff like, okay, who's the shittest on the ball? attack him or whatever pretty reductive but it's a bit more complicated than that but that's effectively what we did and that's what led to both opportunities really and that is the Ange way a lot of teams are doing that now it's not unique necessarily he's a left footer playing on the right side of defence isn't he uh, I believe that's the, yes. I think he was definitely on his wrong side and he looked a little bit uncomfortable so a bit like Emerson for us I suppose after he came on but yeah he was not in a natural position so definitely you could see him being the trigger for the press and it, it came to greater avail so again it's one of those games where there's no necessary necessarily clear-cut man of the match. We weren't being carried by any one player. I think a lot of players did their job well. Would you agree with my suggestion that perhaps our standout performers were our three captains in this game, Son, Madison and Romero? Um, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, mm. I, I feel like we have this discussion every week and I always talk yeah. about, or we always talk about the same players because I'm more than happy to say Van der Ven and Vicario on top of those three. Like Van der Ven yeah. for me... His recovery pace alone saved us in that that last 10, 15 minute spell where we were getting attacked and we were getting a yeah. bit complacent. Van der Ven stopped at least two or three attacks before they even became a half chance just by virtue of how quick he is and how important yeah. he is to our defence is absolutely ridiculous. It's, but- it's breathtaking. His his pace is honestly, it's I've never seen anything like it with a defender where, you know that feeling you get where a player is released down the wing and everyone gets on their feet and he's running exactly at the fullback and you get that kind of, your heart skips a beat and you get that excitement. There's almost a sense of that when Van der Ven is running back towards our own goal. <laughs> And he gets in up right in front of the striker. There were a couple of moments where the Fulham players were just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not winning this. Yeah. <laughs> they just gave up. They didn't even bother. And he was just like, zoop, right out in front of them. It's, it's honestly stunning to watch. Well, for me, it's the calmness that he gives because there was a moment in the first half, I think it was, where there was a ball played over the top and they were somewhat through. I think it was down our left-hand side. Mm. And I saw like, who is it? Oh, it was Van der Ven. And within a split second, my brain just calmed down because I was just like, yeah, there's no way in hell he's losing this. 
And he yeah. does that time and time and time again. And that's the, I mean, if I, as a supporter, a million miles away connected from them on the pitch can see this, then imagine yeah. what it must be like playing next to him. If mm-hmm. I feel calm, imagine what the rest of the defense must feel like. They know every time a ball comes over the top, he can run 400 yards in about three and a half seconds and we'll probably be all right. So yeah, yeah I chuck him in there. But otherwise, I agree. I mean, it's it, hard to look past Sun, goal scorer and a sister, hard to look past Madison, goal scorer and a sister. But we will be saying that game after game after game, I suspect. Yeah. With Son, look, it's no secret that he's an incredible finisher and he continues to be this season. In fact, you, you'll like this. We'll come back to some stats now. So I've got a table of all the top scorers in the Premier League and their respective XGs compared to their goals. So you've got obviously Erling Haaland on nine goals from pretty much bang on nine expected goals. So he's doing his job. He's getting a lot of chances and he's taking them at a Have reasonable... you waited for Elio not to be right. here and now I'm going to get yeah, my yeah, you're get... field tilt. I've even got field right. tilt for you later on. Yeah, 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 yeah. we had, we had yeah. 60% field tilt in that game which um, yeah. I, I think sounds I good yeah I think yeah, I'm sure we did. <laughs> but yeah if you look all through the list you look at Salah who also has seven goals like Son seven XG more or less or 6.98 and that's pretty much the theme throughout the league Son has seven goals from a total of 3.48 XG he's doubling his XG it's unbelievable. And that's nothing new. He's done this all the time. I think you have to say at this point that he is, certainly now that Harry Kane has moved out of the Premier League, he's got to be the best actual finisher in the Premier League. But but we knew that. That's not new. But what I think has been really impressive, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you think of this, Son is starting to look like an actual number nine to me. I think we were quite critical last year of his ability on the ball, his build-up play. I think his actual playmaking is perhaps going a little bit under the radar. And I'm not just saying that because he had an assist this game. I think he's looking really good in the build-up phase when he receives the ball, not just when he has those chances to score. What do you think? I agree with you. You mentioned this a couple of episodes ago when you said, do you think his build-up play has improved? And I made a joke like, look, he's not going to be Andres yeah. Iniesta come the end of the season. But it was noticeable then. It was noticeable on Monday. My brother said it to me when we were watching the game together. Mm. And he made the comment like, this is the best I've ever seen Son hold the ball, retain the ball, release the ball. Like, yeah. Son has never been good at ball retention at all he's never been a winger he can't dribble he runs into blind alleys a lot he's never been a link-up play like the yeah. link-up play between him and Kane is an intricate passing it's normally been Kane passing it around the back and Son running into space and then finishing so mm. he's played as a forward but he's played as a poacher as opposed to as a number nine like you say yeah whereas you're right now like I, I don't he's not going to become prime Harry Kane but you are seeing the benefits of that coaching the pass that he played through for Madison, for example, for the goal, it looks incredibly simple, but he's made it look simple. I promise yeah. you, son of one, two, three, four, five years ago, he's scoring it. up that pass, yeah. or he's making the wrong decision, or he's taking a shot. And to be fair, he's probably scoring if he takes a shot, so fair enough. Yeah. But I completely agree. Like it, It's a subtle difference, but obviously not so subtle because you've picked up on it, I've picked up on it. And th- th- there's no way in hell people listening to this now are like, yep, there's been a few instances where I've seen him yeah. do the sorts of intricate bits of play in and around the penalty area that he has just never been good at. And it's honestly, frustrating because it starts to make me think like man imagine we had a coach like this a little bit earlier I mean we had Pochettino but even Pochettino he was never really like this side even though he was obviously thriving as a player so it's another example of a player where like even if he was what is he 31 now 32 by the end of the season even if you had somebody like Ange not that it's realistic when he was sort of 27 son then you would have seen somebody who at that age can maybe still be molded but it's come slightly too late in his career for it to be this huge transformation but it doesn't need to be because it's good enough now for us to see a better version of him so even though he's lost a little bit of that nimbleness and you know that will only continue to decline like in six months he will be 
I don't know about noticeably, but he will continue to be less mobile than he is now. He's kind of making up for it for adding these sort of other strings to his bow, which to be honest, you never really thought he had them. Because, like no. with Kane, for example, we, we were talking about Kane years ago and going, yeah, once he slows yeah. down, he'll be he'll able to drop these by the way Rooney did. Yeah, Hunt, yeah exactly. Yeah. With Sun, we've never ever said that. With Sun, we all roughly said the same thing, which is his leg's going to go, he's going to lose his pace, he'll be sh- or sell him off to America or something. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm not saying this is like a stay of execution or anything, but he's adding elements to his game that I don't think any of us saw coming. And that can't be a coincidence. He must know this. He's not stupid. He must know oh, that in professional elite football, you, you can't get away with just being quick in behind for the rest of your career. You know, he must be yeah. adapting and future-proofing himself. But it's also a credit to Ange and a further damning indictment of Antonio Conte that he <laughs> wasn't able to get this kind of player out of Son when he had the chance. But uh, no, it's, it's fantastic to see. And his goal was the 50th or his 50th goal at our stadium, having, of course, scored the first one at the stadium uh, all those years ago. So pretty incredible rate for him. The other goal was Madison, who I think is another standout shout for man of the match. Once again, it's almost boring that every week he's in the discussion for the best player on the pitch. Jamie Carragher called him the most influential player in the Premier League on Sky Sports. And it's hard to argue another brilliant performance with and without the ball. Yeah. Does the Pope in the woods? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the same thing every single week. Yeah. Answers to plus day have... podcast at gmail.com, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tweet us at plus day podcast. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a bit like when I remember a few months ago, you asked me about Harry Kane after he scored against whoever the hell it was. And I just made some glib comment of like, yeah, he's good. Yeah, it's Harry Kane. Because yeah. I, what I was going to say. What am I supposed to say with, yeah, yeah like I, 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 there is nothing, I don't think we can contribute really to the Madison conversation any more than what anybody's already said. I think the only thing that you'd ever want from him, and it's what he's delivering so far, is just consistency. So at the moment, yeah. it's just a case of like, all right, well, I don't doubt you. Like, mm-hmm. It's not that he needed to win me over because we knew he was a great player, but he's won us more over in the sense that I've heard a lot of Spurs fans say the same thing, which is we didn't quite realize just how good he was. I think everybody now realizes just how good he is. Yeah. So it's just a case of how long can you keep this up? He, he has a bit of a spotty injury record, for example. I'm, I'm thinking of negative things just because I'm trying to think of, not to criticize it, but for like room for improvement, just have something to say. But it doesn't really feel like there's anything. The guy's goal contributions are ridiculous. He's so yeah. critical to the way we play. He's brilliant to watch. I love him as a person, as a character. Like, yeah. he's a, let's be honest, he's a massive knot, but who cares? Like, I love yeah. it. Like, you, you want those players playing for your football club because Spurs have so often been accused of having a soft center and we, we've just never had enough. C- so whenever you have these sorts of players, like if you look at what the spine of that team is for the most part, Vicario is yeah. a, a nutcase, Romero is a lunatic, yeah. and Madison is a bit of a twat. It, it reminds me a bit when we had something like Deli Ali. Yeah. Like, and Richarlison the kind of player as well. Richarlison, Richarlison is the, yeah, the quintessential and you love to hate. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And whenever opposition fans hate them, it's like, you know you're doing something right. It's not because they're bad or good or whatever. It's because they've got something sort of needly about them. And we we not often had those at Spurs, so I'm, I'm glad to have him. I don't necessarily put Madison in that category, you know. I feel like if we're talking in WWE terms, I, I think he's one of the faces. I don't think he's a heel like Romero, like Richarlison. Yeah. I, I think he's one of the good guys. I think he's got he's got an edge. He's got attitude. And he, he obviously, you like the thing where yeah, he's winding yeah. up the Bournemouth fans. Um, but I think he's, he's charismatic enough and being. cheeky enough to carry it off and get away with it. And he backs it up on the yeah. pitch, more importantly. If you're going to be a dick, you need to be a good player as well, right? That's the thing. Yeah, Madison, I think everyone can agree, has been brilliant, continues to be brilliant to the point of almost being boring. A slightly, well, much more divisive figure is Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, who, of course, had to come in for Basuma and had an important task filling some big boots this week. Always a controversial discussion point, splits our fan base pretty much down the middle. How did you think he did filling in for Basuma? 
Sumo this week. I thought he played well. Mm. I thought he was good. It was a really good Hoiberg performance. I mean, he has his limitations. He has his ceiling. Much like Emerson, I don't think his long-term future is here. It, it would not shock me to see him leave in January. And I think he's almost certain to go next summer. So I don't think there is much that he can do to necessarily change that. And that performance definitely wasn't a game changer or anything. I, he has whatever Basuma has with regards to press resistance. You know it when you see it. Hoiberg is the total exact opposite to that. And that's the thing that stops him from being a better player than what he is because he can't play on the half term. He has no dexterity, agility, balance. He just doesn't have that about him. He's actually probably a better distributor and passer than somebody like Basuma. Basuma isn't really the best passer. Especially over range. Yes. Yeah. And Mm. even as a finisher, he's got a half decent long shot on him, but he doesn't have the balance to be able to position himself or resist the press or anything like that. And against better teams, he will be caught out. So Hoiberg did exactly what you wanted him to do, which was come into a game where you're missing the obviously best player against a team that you are better than and you expect to win. Don't yeah. score up, just do your job, keep it ticking along. Don't do anything noticeably terrible. So mm. I can only kind of give him credit for that. But yeah. I, I think I understand why he splits the fan base completely because he's, it reminds me a bit of when we had Kieran Trippier, which was a good player, that was stuck in the wrong system. We have him back now, wouldn't and we? And the second he went to, uh, well, perhaps, but well, maybe not, I well, don't know. But when, yeah. he, when he went to Atletico Madrid and he played consistently at when they had a three at the back or a five at the back and he didn't have to be an out-and-out right back in the way Kyle Walker was, he was absolutely exceptional. Hoiberg is another one of those players where it would not shock me if he went to, I mean, Atleti were the ones that were linked with him in the summer. Yeah, if he goes somewhere he like that, there. And then all you end up, yeah, all you end up hearing is like, he's one of the best sixes in the league. He's mm. been a revelation. And we're looking around and going, well, why can't you done that for us? Well, it's because it makes sense when you're Jose Mourinho and you sign him and you just want him to, because his reading of the game and his intercepting yeah. is excellent. That's what he's very, very good at. Great mentality, all that sort of stuff. But yeah. now that we are returning back to a more progressive style of play, Hoiberg just doesn't, he just doesn't have it. He doesn't have it in him. And I don't want to criticize him after what was a good performance. But yeah. like I say, the long-term implications of his future haven't changed. And I still don't want to see him anywhere near the team. I want Basuma to be fit and healthy and, and not suspended and all that kind of stuff. But at least he did what he was supposed to do when he came in. Absolutely. No, no arguments there. Would you say then in that case, there is no game in which a fully fit Hoiberg is the better choice to a fully fit Basuma, depending on the opponents and the type of game we're expecting? Would you say it's always the right answer to to start Basuma. L- literally none yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah. The advantages that Hoiberg has over Basuma in terms of his passing are not substantial. He's not Paul Scholes. Like, it's, they're not substantial enough to yeah. drop what Basuma could do. Uh, like, Basuma is, along with Rodri and Declan Rice, probably, they are the three best players in the league in their position. And Hoiberg mm. is just not at that caliber. So for the couple of things that he can do that Basuma can't do, there's just absolutely no way in hell you'd ever pick him over him. He'd have to be carrying an injury, Basuma. That's the only way. And again, I don't want to go too hard on, on Hoiberg because no. I'm not one for criticizing players sort of overly for the sake of it, even though that's kind of what I've been doing over the past <laughs> sort of three minutes. But yeah. for all intents and purposes, like I said, he just doesn't have the required skill set to play for us at the moment. And that's fine because when you bring in a new manager there are always going to be winners and losers from the previous regime Basuma is the winner in this instance wasn't playing under Conte thriving now Mm. Hoiberg is the loser was playing every single game under Conte and doing particularly well to be fair now he's the loser and this is just a part and parcel of Ben Davis Eric Dyer Emerson Royale maybe Ryan Sessignon we've already sold a couple of players Harry Winks and there will be others that go it's just a natural part of a team evolving through a new coach so to be fair to him to kind of top it off on a slightly nicer note 
so I don't just kind of be constantly negative about him. He's been a consummate professional the whole time mm. from everything we've heard. Hasn't kicked up the fuss, has done well whenever he's been called upon, even if it's just been 10 minutes off the bench, has trained well by all accounts. And I don't think he will kick up a fuss from now until the day he leaves. So yeah. credit to him there. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair to him, he was involved in one of the goals in the game as well. He was yeah. the one who won the ball with the press, with the counter press for Madison's goal, I think. Because Madison put the initial pressure on the guy passing it out, came back, came yep. back to Son, and then the ball was in. Exactly. What I will say about Hoiberg is that that performance has at least made me feel a little bit less worried about the idea of him having to come in again. I mean, I know we've talked about Basuma being on a tightrope again, and he could well end up missing Chelsea if he comes back in and plays against Palace. Hoiberg could well be starting against Chelsea. I'm not going to be panicking if mm. I see that now. Whereas I think had I not had this chance to see Hoiberg in this system from the start... I might have been a little bit more nervous. With that in mind, and I know you've already answered the fact that you think Basuma should always start over Hoiberg if both are fit. In this situation, do you just play your best team against Palace and then deal with the Chelsea game when it comes? Or are you thinking it's actually worth potentially putting Hoiberg back in, saving Basuma for the Chelsea game? Or is that being harsh on Palace? No, because that and it's it's more of a damning indictment on Basuma. That to me is, okay, well, we have a play with an obvious weakness and that player needs to sort it out. Because if you're telling me that's how we have to potentially think, with Basuma, yeah. Basuma has a major flaw. Yeah, to just tell game. him not to haul anyone down on a counter attack, and we'll be fine. Completely. Yeah. Now that's that's just not sustainable in the long term. And the reality of that is, if if it's not Chelsea, it'll be Newcastle shortly after. If it's not Newcastle, it'll be Man City or West Ham or any like yeah. or Aston Villa. Yeah. I think those are the, like there's not going to be a game really. There aren't too many games in this league. Like outside of what Luton, Sheffield United, Burnley. Are there only too many teams you look at and go, oof, like, okay, I don't mind him missing that one. There's like 12, 14, 15 teams that I want Basuma to be playing for because every team is quite good. So that to me is more of a damning indictment on Basuma. And he needs, I mean, look, the damage is done now. He's picked up the four or five yellow cards he has. He will pick up one inevitably over the next two, three games. But that is more of a, a thing that he needs to sort out. But yeah, like you said, I think we would be even an injury-struck Palace who are missing. I think the Lise and Eze still Eze, for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we can take any team really lightly. So I think Basuma actually has to play. And if he gets booked, that is not on Ange, it's not on Hoiberg. It's it's purely on him, and yeah. we need to sort that out. Well, he needs to sort that out. Yeah. The other player I want to talk about quickly, and I know we've gone on about him a few times, but just because I think if you had to point to a weak link, a lot of people are highlighting Richarlison once again. I mm. I want to get your thoughts on it because from watching that game, I actually thought, and it's a bit of a recurring theme with him, everything but the goal, everything but the clinical cutting edge finishing, the goal threat, and he he set up a goal to be fair to him as well. Let's not take that away from him. He's actually got a, a handful of assists this season. He's got I think three or maybe even four. So you know credit where it's due. They're not exactly a defense splitting incisive through balls. They're they're kind of Tom Carroll assists uh, for the most part. But but <laughs> nevertheless, he's doing his part. I thought he was actually really crucial in our out of possession game and I think there's an argument to say we would have struggled had a different player been in his position in that game what do you think my concern with Richarlison is when he started for us last season I thought there was a really good like his performances were really good and I remember thinking bloody hell this is a better player yeah well I thought Mm. there was a better player than I than a bit like with Madison it's like all right I knew you were always decent or good or whatever but I didn't realize you were this good and all the stuff you'd want him to do, his like I remember his first game he came on. We watched it together when we were away with the away game against Chelsea. Chelsea, yeah. When he was and his off the ball running and the, and him pulling defenders and his hold up play, and he had that for a few games. And yeah. effectively, 
the longer he went on without scoring, his confidence was completely decimated. And I'm worried now that he's going to go the way of a Soldado or a Vincent Janssen, which is to say there was always talent in these players, especially with Soldado. Soldado had an incredible track record before he came to Tottenham, especially in Europe. He had a ridiculous record of the Champions League or something. But anyway, yeah. the ability was there. But sometimes players go into, to quote ABB, the negative spiral, and it's really it ends up becoming a, a mind over body thing. So with Richarlison, I agree with you. I don't think he's as bad as he was for most of last season. He's not as good as he was at the start of last season. He's somewhere in the middle at the moment where he is ticking along with assists. His general play is fine without being outstanding. And the longer he goes on without consistently scoring, it will continue to be a problem because he's got a couple of goals. I mean, he scored yeah. three in all competitions in all of last season. He's already got two. He just needs someone who can cross it to his head and then he'll get a few more goals. Perisic well, needs injured. to be given some lessons. To, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the problem. So with him, the problem is now he's never going to displace Son injury aside no. at the number nine. And I would not be shocked in the slightest to see somebody else start at left wing tomorrow. And by somebody else, I mean probably Brennan Johnson mm. if he's fit. So, And I think we spoke about this last week. That The issue with Richarlison is that there will probably come a point, injuries notwithstanding, where he's going to have to be doing all the stuff we're saying he needs to do to gain his confidence back, but he's going to have 25 minutes off the bench playing yeah. Lord knows in what position. So I think that is why I have some long-term concerns with him. Well, as long as Son keeps on scoring at a rate of a goal per half chance, I think we're going to be okay. Let's hope he can keep that <laughs> up. And it doesn't really matter if anyone else is scoring, does it? Um, on Son, actually, it's worth mentioning a couple of interesting stats. Since he moved into the number nine position, which I think was the Burnley game the first time he started centrally, he's scoring at a rate of a goal every 59 minutes, which is pretty pretty outrageous. That's Lionel Messi in Cristiano Ronaldo territory, that is. Let's hope he can keep that going. Mm. I mean, that's kind of the game in a nutshell. Was there anything else, any other players that were worth mentioning? You mentioned Vicario had a couple of half-decent saves, didn't they? Or one really good save from Pelina from a corner. A um, couple of yeah. hairy moments again. Probably won't be the last time we see those, but it's a net positive from Vicario, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the hairy moments will come just as a consequence of the way we play, because yeah. that happens with every... I mean, how many have you seen from David Ryer alone? He's made more mistakes in the last kind of couple of games for Arsenal than oh, Vicario yeah. has around we're, we're very grateful for what we have with some of the goalkeepers at the moment outside of Edison and Allison, there aren't too yeah. many this season anyway you look at and go are doing demonstrably better than him so I've got no problem with him having a couple of shaky moments I think the best thing you can say about him is that you kind of forget that he's there like we've not really been speaking about him too much and that's almost the best thing you can say about a keeper and as a fan base we've had the discussion for a long time of how are we going to replace Lloris when he's gone because even though the last maybe sort of 12 to 24 months of Lloris obviously were especially last season were disappointing Overall, the sort of 10 years of service he's given us, he's been nothing short of very, very, very good and at some points world-class. And it's the sort of thing that you take for granted when you've got that solidity there. And we've seen teams in the past. I mean, Man United infamously post Peter Schmeichel went through that period where whether it was Taibi or Bartes or Carroll (laughs) or Howard, not until Edwin van der Sar did they really have kind of like a solid number one. So it's not the easiest thing to do. And even though it's a small sample size with Vicario, at the moment you're looking at it and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, when we signed him, it felt like every Italian man, woman and child came together in unison and said, you signed pretty much the best goalkeeper in the league outside of Anana, who himself isn't pulling up any trees, by the way. Including and Buffon, so far, it should be said, who I think said more or less the same right, thing, didn't he? Right. And, yeah. and you're seeing that at the moment. So, yeah, couldn't be yeah. happy with him, to be totally honest. Yeah, absolutely. It's all looking pretty rosy. A um, couple of injury concerns. I don't know if you know more than I do on either Saar or Udogi, because both of them came off during the game, looked like they had some slight problems. Um, I've not heard anything to suggest that either of them will be unavailable for the Palace game. Do you know if they're both going to be available for selection? Or Ange mentioned it and he said Saar's fine. I think he yeah. had a virus or something and he just needed an extra day or something after the game. Uh, but he's enough, okay. Yeah. And, and then he said, Udogi, he said he needs to assess, but he didn't say 
anything more than that. And other than that, everybody's absolutely fine. So yeah, 50-50 on Udogi for tomorrow. I suspect he'll probably end up playing for another hour or something. It didn't seem like it was a... Because he said after the Fulham game that he had something coming into the Palace game. So I yeah. think we have a few players outside of the ones that are obviously injured. We've got a few that are on that 50-50, can maybe play an hour about them. And I think it's just about managing them because we now, we've got this bizarre schedule where we've got, we're going now from a Monday to a Friday and then we've got another Monday and then we've got a Saturday 12.30, which may as well just be a Friday. So they're sort of, we're getting extra time in between certain games, which is great, but then we're being shafted in this overcorrection that we're having to play effectively Monday to Friday in two separate occasions. So it's a little bit shaky, but fingers crossed they're okay sort of stage with a few of them. Yeah, I must admit as a fan, I'm kind of delighted that I've only had to wait a few games for another Spurs game because we we keep saying, I can't wait to watch us again. You know, there there will come a time. saying that in May. I know, I know. I was like, oh, great, international break. Finally, some mercy. Please give us some time <laughs> off. Um, I, I was saying the other day that there will come a time this season that we'll lose, jokes aside. I know we ran through and you didn't give us a loss until about um, May, actually, <laughs> from what I remember. Um, but we'll lose eventually and it's, it's going to really hurt, isn't it? And I, I'm really curious yeah. to see how we react to it and, and how we respond and, and what the, the mentality is. But at the moment, bring them on. I'll have a game every few days as long as we've got the players for it. Speaking of players returning, Benton Kerr is on the fringes now and, and there's rumours of him potentially being available. Do you know, if did Ange say anything about his condition? Obviously, we don't want to rush him back and he'll probably come off the bench when he does make a return. But do you see him make any minutes sometime soon? Or do you think that's I'd be, uh, I'd be, a few games away still? I'd be shocked, honestly. Yeah. I, I think he only returned to full training last week after being out since February. So yeah. the idea that within a week, he's even able to play 10 minutes off the bench. I, I'm, not an, I'm not a physio. I don't know how this stuff works, but it just doesn't sound feasible to nah. me, I think. I think in a press conference a few weeks ago, actually, before the international break, Ange specifically mentioned November. And to be fair, it's October the 26th, so we're not too far off. But I think think you're looking at... You never know Chelsea off the bench because Chelsea is now a good 10 days away. But my best guesstimate would be maybe the game after that. You're seeing him kind of in and around the team. But I remember reading an article about players doing their ACLs and the biggest threat they've got when they come back isn't actually doing the ACL again because for the most part, the surgery is very effective. A, it's the psychological aspect, which is why a lot of them don't return to the play they were before because they're just scared, understandably. But it's more so they've been out of the game for so long and they're so deconditioned. They come back, they play 20 minutes, they pull a groin, they pull a hamstring, they tear something else. And then you get into this rhythm where you're constantly being injured. And obviously you had no preseason whatsoever, which is where you're meant to be doing the bulk of your fitness work. So I suspect what's probably going on behind the scenes is he's having his preseason, however that manifests itself in training, basically doing whatever it is he can do fitness-wise without actually having the benefit of playing a competitive game and then we're going to have to manage and ease him in. So I know we're all like ridiculously excited because you're looking at the team and you're thinking, oh, bloody hell, yeah, imagine adding. So he was our best it. player last season yeah. for me, Benton Core, even more so than Kane, pound for pound. I know Kane scored 30 goals, but in terms yeah. of actual performances, up until his injury in February, he was pound for pound our best player by sub-margin. So if he returns to anything close to that and you start like put that next to Basuma and Madison, yeah. we might not lose a game until May at that point. Like, ask me <laughs> yeah. if we'll win the league then. Well, and then I might give you a different off, answer. Then definitely, yeah, exactly. Yeah, bloody hell, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll say obviously a long way to go. And I suppose we have got the advantage. We've got the luxury of being able to manage his minutes back in because Sar has been doing so well in that spot. And um, assuming that he's not now injured, then hopefully we can ease Benteke back in at the right pace. I put a poll out on Twitter a couple of days ago, actually, about this, about basically who should stay in that position for the 
the near future once Benson Curry is declared fit. And you'll be surprised to hear that uh, only a 53% majority said they want to see Benson Curry reclaim his place and 47% are happy to see Saar continue for the civil future. So uh, obviously there are various variables involved in that and that each player's respective fitness and time as it goes on. But it just shows that we're in a good spot in midfield, certainly. Palace next, I guess we'll be back in a few days to talk about that. Do you just want to see pretty much the same team, but maybe obviously Basuma coming back in and then potentially Brennan Johnson on the left for Richarlison? Yeah, if I had to take a guess, I think that's exactly what fitness notwithstanding. I think that's probably what it will be. It is a nice time to play them because I think they're still missing Eze and Elise. I think they played Nottingham Forest a few weeks ago and it was just a nil-nil because they just don't have any kind of potency in the attack at the moment. So yeah, Selhurst yeah. Park's one of those, like in my mind, I've got a few grounds that just whenever I think of them, I just kind of connect it to a very specific trauma. Selhurst Park, the Britannia, like there's just... At very our sp- age, that's most grounds, isn't it? I mean, we've had, we've had <laughs> incidents everywhere, say, including our own grounds. I was going through the, I was going through the in my head I'm like which grants don't fit that narrative yeah. or whatever but uh, no you're yeah. right but yeah that's that's one of those again mm. it's a cliche but you know Friday night under the lights Selhurst Park or whatever but I think the fact that they're missing a couple of players now would be the time to play them and try and sneak a win so I think my concern actually is more so we've been talking about this season everything's been so beneficial because we're only playing one game a week and we've not got a European midweek this is sort of it now because we've gone from playing Monday to Friday is no different than playing Champions League on the Tuesday and then playing again on the Saturday. Yeah, yeah, we so should be equipped we, to do that. Yeah, well, it's it, it's the first time I think we'd have played a team where we haven't had a full week of actually training to prepare specifically for this game and there have been a couple of days taken off. So interested to see if that has any kind of noticeable discernible impact but hopefully we get over the line fixture congestion leads nicely into the first of a couple of messages i have to read out this week so you'll be delighted to hear but not the first week in recent times you have uh, a message message in from one of your relatives (laughs) uh, this time from uh, a man that our listeners will be um, intimately familiar with it is elio who of course is not here today but it just wouldn't be a plus day podcast episode without a little bit of elio flavor so he writes in the following dear pdp I see you're pressing on and recording without me. This feels like some kind of obtuse punishment for the mere crime of being more knowledgeable, better informed, and far more articulate than the lot of you put together. Shut the f- Even so, up. I'll grace you with some light comments on the previous <laughs> and next fixture. On the previous, no point in getting too stressed about the dip in performance. We're still in the early stages of building up familiarity and style, and an international break will only ever highlight that. On the next, definitely a tricky match against a very well-managed side, and the fact that the Premier League has seen fit to give us just four days to prepare is disgraceful not to mention a slap in the face to our supporters by giving them two night matches in the same week and our next is also an even kickoff versus Chelsea again on a Monday (laughs) I guess it's fine though as long as they keep attracting blood money to clubs like Chelsea Newcastle and Manchester City Lastly, you're welcome. It has been my pleasure to ensure the credibility of an episode I won't even be on yours Elio Brackett the star (laughs) I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. I didn't even need to tell you who it was from. You'd have known, wouldn't you? I mean, it was obvious within mere words of that message. A slightly less self-aggrandizing message has come in um, from one of our (laughs) listeners, which is lovely to see. And we actually got a message from a listener in Australia called Khalil, who writes in, and this one's kind of indirectly directed at you, Sox, actually, so I'm going to be interested to hear your thoughts on the back of this. He says, hey, guys, just wanted to send a message, not an email, lol, (laughs) to say, I have been enjoying the podcast, nice flow to it, lighthearted at times, and some good analysis. I'm an Ange-obsessed fan from Australia, and have jumped on board the Spurs train after following him everywhere he goes, loving the latest roller coaster ride at Tottenham that Ange takes you on. Just on the podcast... 
I usually don't like swearing on a pod for swearing's sake, but I don't mind when you guys do it. And I think the bleep you add ruins the authenticity of the show, especially the scrawny little sh- footballer line. I enjoyed that one. Regards, Khalil <laughs> and Elare. <laughs> Shout out to the Greeks among us. Oh, Thank nice. you very much for that lovely, <laughs> lovely message. And I feel like as someone who I can confirm is probably the chief culprit of said swearing. Sox, what do you think about us <laughs> continuing to bleep? Do you think it's time that we just grow up and stop and just, just let it all out there? Well, first of all, given that's the first actual, I know I've been asking for an email, but semantics aside, given that's the first actual message we've had in for somebody that isn't directly related to us, <laughs> yeah. family or friend, I feel like, do you know when you like open a store and then like the, the first sale you make, you stick like the 20 quid note on the till? Yeah. <laughs> we need to find whatever the podcast equivalent is of Khalil's we'll, we'll print message. We'll print this message sort of out. What's our pin exactly. tweet, shall we? On yeah. a microphone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That'll do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if look, people who listen to this are mostly adults. I think they know what the word shit or fuck or whatever means or whatever. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I don't know if we're having a, a podcast brainstorm whilst we're recording it, but I broadly agree with yeah. Khalil. It doesn't take a genius to figure out what we're saying. I think the no. C word, maybe we can sort of limit or drop or whatever, unless it's Thomas Kushak, <laughs> Sean Longstaff, Sol Campbell. And it's yeah, that C word, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm in agreement. It's not as if I do a particularly good job of concealing the word anyway. So uh, I think we, we should probably just go ahead with it. So thank you for the advice. I mean, there are some advice, episodes where there are so many where like towards the end, the bleeping just stops. And I just always imagine you just giving up recording, <laughs> like editing at like two in the morning, going, forget it. <laughs> I can't be asked. I've done enough of them. <laughs> like, who cares? I also love that it took an Australian or someone from Australia to tell us to just embrace our swearing. Yeah, of all places. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not exactly yeah. a turn up for the books, is it? Yeah, just, just, <laughs> just fucking do it, mate. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you very much, Kiddo. We'd love, love to get the message in. And to anyone else listening who would like to contribute, be it with constructive criticism or just a bit of love, uh, you know where to find us, or you should do by now. We're at Plus Dave Podcast on Twitter and we are at plusdavepodcast at gmail.com on our email as well. So, uh, so please, yeah, get in touch. And uh, no more messages from Elio, please. And um, that was more enough but he will probably be returning next week as will Dave and we will be talking about the Palace game and looking ahead to a huge one against Chelsea the return of Pochettino which is going to be a spicy spicy affair so we're looking forward to that one quick question Sos before we wrap things up if we do win tomorrow no 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 it's nothing about the league (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give you a few weeks off that if if we win against Palace now yeah surely Ange has to get his third consecutive manager of the month I didn't even think of that yeah well he would have won every game this yep. month. I don't know if anybody else has done that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've already broken the curse. That was the worst thing, right? Yeah, like, he, yeah. We broke the curse by him winning it. So I don't, I don't even know what happens if you get... Maybe it comes back on itself. Them up, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> didn't even think of that. Well, we'll see. Anyway, that's probably a good time for us to stop talking before we damn us anymore. But hopefully we haven't gone and screwed anything up. But if he does win, then I think he's uh, surely a shoe in for manager of the month. And the Spurs will go marching on. Brilliant. We'll be back in just a matter of days to talk about Palace and Chelsea. We'll have a much fuller contingent then hope many of you can join us for that hope you've enjoyed this episode stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you in a few days